You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Tuesday show for you. We're going to take a look at that Duke-Clemson game last night, and boy, how the mighty have fallen. I'll touch on that a little bit. Looking ahead to Saturday's slate of college games, holy crap, have you looked at this? Six road favorites of right around a touchdown. All good games. This is tasty, to say the least. The ACC bringing in three more schools. We're going to talk about that and a couple other things that happened this past weekend. Some statistics in regarding Colorado, uh, regarding Nebraska. They had brought it up on Friday after their game on Thursday. I finally got the correct statistic for how many one-score games they've lost in the last five years. It's frankly embarrassing. We'll get to all that momentarily. All right, so let's talk about it. Last night, Clemson, 12-point favorite going into Duke. Duke, best year in a while last season, goes 9-4, and four, returns Riley Leonard, who right now in mock drafts is going to be the third quarterback taken behind Caleb Williams and Drake May. They have him going 20th in a, a lot of mock NFL drafts for 2024. So Duke was going to be competitive for sure. Clemson finally decides, you know, DJ Uyunglele transferred to Oregon State, so they got Cade Klubnik, and they returned Will Shipley. They got a good defense. What the hell happened to the Clemson Tigers? 28-7? Just, I mean, look, if you watch the game, you clearly saw Clemson, It while it was 28-7, Clemson was their own worst enemy last night. Three turnovers. Here's the funniest statistic. At halftime, Clemson led the game 7-6. to six. In their next three drives, Clemson got to the Duke 1, to the Duke 4, and to the Duke 6, and they were trailing 21-7. <laughs> they had a missed 27-yard field goal that was blocked, and they twice fumbled inside the red zone. Inside the 10-yard line, they fumbled twice. I mean, they could not get out of their own way last night. And here's the other thing. It was brought up a couple times on social media. And, again, I totally agree with it. What happened to the Clemson wide receiving core? Where are the T. Higgins of the world? Where are your DeAndre Hopkins? Where are your Mike Williams? Where are your Sammy Watkins? That's what made Clemson dominant in the most recent years. I'm I'm looking at this team and I'm like, huh? Artavius Scott, Hunter Renfro. I, I I those guys, there's just guys out there for Clemson. And Dabo's taking a lot of heat because Dabo, for whatever reason, it's gotta be an ego thing because Dabo just does not dabble in the transfer portal. They don't go after guys. And they don't do NIL deals, which is great. If that's what he wants to live his life by, that's fine. But you're getting passed up. You just got beat by Duke by three touchdowns. And I'm telling you right now, this wasn't just, hmm, well, bad first game. All they got to do is clean up the mistakes and they'll be good. They're a good team. They're a 9 or 10 win team. But I think right now, while it seems very obvious to anybody who watched Sunday night's game and Monday night's game, Florida State is the class of the ACC right now. 
And in four weeks, Florida State is at Clemson. And I'm telling you right now, I'm all over Florida State in that game. I love Florida State in that game because there's something surrounding this Clemson team in this program that makes me think that hot run that they had when they had the Deshaun Watsons and they want and the Trevor Lawrence's and the Justin Rosses and you know DeAndre Hopkins and back in the day and those guys T Higgins when they were winning national championships within the last five or six years I think they hit their peak and now they're headed not to you know a two win season or anything like that they're still going to be very good. But I don't know if they're national championship good anymore because I'm sorry. I just read off all those receivers that were dominant for them in the 2000s. I didn't notice anybody out there on their receiving core that was getting any sort of separation, that was making any sort of plays. Their offense is vanilla. They bring in Garrett Riley from TCU, and I'm sorry, but he had better weapons last year at TCU than he had at Clemson last night. Will Shipley's a stud at running back. And so is Maffa. But none of those receivers stuck out to me. I, I didn't notice any sort of innovation with their offense. It seems like they're kind of running the same offense that DJ Uyunglele transferred out of because he didn't like it. Seems like it's the same offense to me. But, and like I said, they're not headed for two or three win seasons, and they're not like going to be bottom seller dwellers in the ACC but they're not the class of the conference anymore, and we're not just handing them ACC titles anymore. Florida State is going to beat them in Death Valley in four weeks. Outside of major injuries or something like that, I'm sure the line will be fairly low. They might even make Florida State a three-point favorite just because I guess it'll be determined what Clemson does in these next two weeks. If they have two blowouts, then maybe they'll be a small favorite, but you saw Florida State against an SEC defense in LSU. Who's to say that they can't do that to Clemson in Death Valley? So I can't wait for that game, but that is going to be very, very interesting. Right now, you you can't help but not like Florida State. And honestly, if they win that game, I think Florida State is headed for the college football playoff and they've got finally the team to compete. Past years, they have not had it. This year, they do. All you need to do is watch that LSU game and look at how fast that team is. They got a steady quarterback. They got a great running game. They got studs on defense. They got receivers that can make plays. They have all the makings of a college football playoff team. If they win the ACC championship and go 12-1 and or even – um, or they would be um, uh, 13-0 and or 12-1. and If they can avoid more than one loss and they win the ACC championship, I think they're in. I really do. And they are going to be a dangerous team come playoff time. So looking ahead to the schedule this Saturday in college football, <laughs> I mean, this is really – this has the makings of – I have a feeling the public is going to be on a lot of road favorites. And I'm telling you, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. Six of them, the road favorite is a six to seven point favorite. In the other three, it's three and a half, four, and four. 
in these nine games, I'm telling you, at least five of them, the home underdog is going to win outright. And I would say in the other four, probably two of them cover. Like, you know how I give you my three-pack on Fridays of underdogs that I think can win outright? It's coming from these nine games. And I'm telling you, numerous teams in these nine games I'm about to read off to you right now are going to cover. It's my job to pick the right ones because we're going to look back on this on Monday when I talk about um, my picks, whatever I decide to go with on Friday. And I'm going to go and I'm going to read you back these nine games and say, look, six of these nine covered. And what if I picked the three that didn't or something like that? But here we go. Just looking at these, the ones that are right around anywhere between six and a half and seven and a half point favorites. Notre Dame, seven and a half point favorite on the road at NC State. Utah, seven-point favorite on the road at Baylor. Wisconsin, six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Washington State. Ole Miss, seven-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Tulane. Oregon, seven-point favorite on the road at Texas Tech. Auburn, six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Cal. (laughs) These are really good games for Week 2, way better games than we have in Week 2 than we had in Week 1. And then the smaller favorites, you got Oklahoma State as a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Arizona State, A&M, a four-point favorite at Miami. That's a rematch from last year's game in College Station that AM won. And then, of course, you've got the Battle of the Iowas. Iowa's a four-point favorite at Iowa State. And that game is always usually goes to the underdog. But I think Iowa has uh, beaten them the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, the public is going to see Utah minus seven at Baylor and see that Baylor just lost at home by 11 to Texas State and Utah won their home opener. Of course, the public is going to be all over Utah. Wisconsin, six and a half point favorites at Washington State. Ole Miss can score with the best of them. Seven and a half point favorites at Tulane. Oregon puts up 81 points on Portland State. They're only laying seven at Texas Tech, who lost to Wyoming. Oh, give me Oregon. Auburn minus six and a half at Cal. (laughs) This is going to be so interesting. I'm telling you, these are the nine games that we're going to talk about next Monday. And I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you right now, at least five of these are winning outright. Four or five. So almost half of them are going to win the game outright. These home underdogs are going to win outright. And then... I'd say two of these nine, I'm going to say six or seven cover. Six or seven underdogs cover, at least cover. Don't necessarily have to win outright, but they will cover. That's what I'm looking at. So it's just a matter of which ones do I like the best. Right now, just looking at it, I like the Washington State getting six and a half. I like Miami to get revenge on that awful game they played last year. In College Station, I really kind of like Tulane, plus that 7.5 against Ole Miss. Although I might might need to look at the total on that game because that's just going to be a point fest. What is the total on that game? Let me check real quick. 64.5, that seems about right, with the line at 7.5. So they're looking at 36, 29, 35, 28 is what they're kind of, yeah. Um... I can't tell. I, I, 
the Texas Tech game at home against Oregon, I, I know that I know that the public's going to be all over Oregon because they see a score last week of 81 to seven. And, you know, it's a West Coast team going, you know, traveling east, a team they're unfamiliar with. I just I'm either going to stay away. Or I don't know. I don't know yet. But the three that jump out to me of those of the dogs are Miami, Tulane, and Washington State. Not saying that those are going to be my picks. My picks will officially come on Friday. But I'm really looking at them right now. So it was made official at the end of last week that Cal, Stanford, and SMU are going to be joining the ACC. Uh, Good luck against Florida State, (laughs) Cal, Stanford, SMU. You're not even in their same ballpark. But what put it over the edge? Well, number one, NC State's decided to flip their vote. There were four schools that had said no. One of them needed to change their vote, and it was NC State. Does it make a whole hell of a lot of sense that Stanford and Cal are playing in a conference called the Atlantic Coast Conference? Not in the least bit. But that doesn't even matter anymore. It's all about money. We know this. But why did NC State flip? And it's simple. Money. Because Cal and Stanford are only taking 30% of the Tier 1 media distribution for the first seven years. Then they go to 70% in year 8, 75% in year 9, and then in years 10 to 12, they will get 100% of the media distribution. SMU is taking no money from the media distribution for the first nine years. So, of course, they're going to let those teams in because now there's more money for the other schools. And now that's, that tier is, is, um, is structured. So basically, Stanford and Cal's total ACC distribution is going to be around $20 million for each school, which is well more than a group of five if they joined you know, the Mountain West, but they made $37 million in the Pac-12, so they're taking a big pay cut. And I think the fact that the other schools are going to make more money because now there's going to be more money in the pot, and with Stanford and Cal only taking 30% for the first seven years and SMU taking nothing for the first nine years, just means more money to the other schools. But it is going to be tiered because of the complaints that Clemson and Florida State say. It's like, look, I get it we're getting more money, but why do we have to split our same revenue shares Everyone gets the same revenue shares when teams like us, and I wanted to throw out Duke, but I was like, well, Duke just beat Clemson by three touchdowns last night. But that's what they're saying. We're Clemson. We're Florida State. We're bigger names. We have tradition more so than Georgia Tech football and Duke football. Even though Duke is good, you know what I'm saying. So they're saying we should put all this extra money into a pot, but it should be structured and tiered based on on-the-field success, and ratings. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. So that's the only way they're going to keep Clemson and Florida State happy because if Clemson and Florida State don't get that from the ACC, they're gonzo, and they'll probably go over to the SEC, which would make the SEC just a bear to deal with. But that's what happened end of last week in regards to the ACC. And, yeah, it is silly that Stanford and Cal are playing in a conference called the Atlantic Coast Conference, but it is what it is at this point. You know, on Friday I talked about the night before when Nebraska had lost 
to Minnesota and blown another fourth quarter lead, which they've done consistently. Just in the last five seasons, Nebraska has five one-score losses and 16 second-half blown leads. Both are the most in the FBS by far. 25 one-score losses in five years? That means every year, almost half of your games that you lose are because you lose by one score. And it's just got to be a nut kick because 16 of those were games that you led in the second half. I mean, just... And, you know, you watch it again. Even though you're watching the game and Nebraska seemed to be in control, you're just... If you're a Nebraska fan, if you're a Cornhusker fan, you be honest with yourself. It's almost like right now watching the Texas Rangers. Every time they go to the bullpen, unless they have literally a four or five run lead, you're not safe because their bullpen is absolutely killing them right now and is going to cost them a, probably a shot at the playoffs for how crazy bad their bullpen has been for three weeks running now. But same thing with Nebraska. I know Cornhusker fans, you're watching your team and if you have a lead or you're playing well, you know going to the fourth quarter, because of this history, it's in the players' heads and don't think the other team doesn't know, like, hey, it's fine. We're down to Nebraska. That's fine. They are known for not closing out games. So, yeah, it's got to be in the players' heads and it's in the other team's heads for sure. And the numbers bear it out. 25 one-score losses in five years. That's ridiculous. And I don't know if that's just uh, coaching's not drilling it into their head or what, but and this weekend's game at Colorado is so intriguing because the line just screams everybody and their mother is going to bet Colorado because I don't know if you know this, but before the season, you can bet certain games. You can bet a week 10 game between two really good teams. They put lines out for like games of the year, important games nationally televised games and before the season literally before this past saturday you could have bet nebraska colorado and colorado was plus seven and a half then both of them play one game colorado beats tcu 45 42 nebraska loses to minnesota and now the line is colorado minus three a ten and a half point line movement based on one game and a part of me thinks that's not enough because Yes, Colorado is not like they have some sort of, you know, stifling defense whatsoever. But I watched that Nebraska offense against a Minnesota defense. That's good, but nothing, you know, they're not the 85 Bears. And Jeff Sims was terrible for Nebraska. Terrible. You saw him play. He was awful. Three interceptions. And then you wonder, can Nebraska go into Colorado and all of a sudden just put up a shit ton of points that line is so scary because i know that the public is going to be all over colorado and i just don't like betting with the public it's why vegas wins all the time the public loses now that's just one game you know overall the public will end up losing that's why there are giant hotels with four thousand rooms in them in las vegas and a bunch of bright lights because joe blow loses for one game on one weekend, you know, Joe Blow loses overall in the long run. 
But for one game on a Saturday, it just I'm I'm always scared off by by lines like that. Because Colorado is going to be everybody's darling. And usually when everybody is on one side, we all know what happens. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I'm not really looking forward <laughs> to that one. But speaking of Colorado, I mean, obviously so many things that happened over the weekend with them. I mean, we talked about the win, 45-42 over TCU. But Shador Sanders, his first start ever. The guy was playing FCS football last year. So he comes up to the FBS. Oh, he's a Nepo baby. Oh, he's Dion's son. No wonder he gets to quarterback. Yeah, in his first game in FBS, he set the school record for passing yards, 510. Travis Hunter is the first FBS player in the last 20 seasons to have 100 receiving yards in a game and a defensive interception in the same game. A defensive interception, by the way, that was very athletic inside the five-yard line and in a game where he played in 147 snaps. Colorado had four players with over 100 receiving yards. Prior to Saturday, Buffaloes had never had more than two 100-yard receivers in a game. They snapped a 27-game road losing streak against AP top 20 opponents. The last one was in 2002 against UCLA. It was the third longest streak amongst Power 5 teams, only behind Wake Forest and Kansas. Before the season, Colorado was 200-1 to win the national championship. They went down to 100-1. to Travis Hunter was 100 to 1 to win the Heisman. Now he's down to 40 to 1. Shadur Sanders was 150 to 1 to win the Heisman, and now he's down to 40 to 1. It was just crazy. I mean, Travis Hunter. I said 147 snaps. It's 145 snaps. He had 13 targets as a wide receiver. Caught 11 passes for 119 yards. 7 of those 11 catches were for a first down. At cornerback, He was targeted nine times. He only allowed three catches. He had one interception, and he broke up three passes. No NFL wide receiver or cornerback played more than 101 snaps all of last season, let alone did what he did on both sides of the ball. I mean, this is Shohei Otani of college football. Now, I don't know if he's going to play 120 to 140 snaps every week, Maybe Dion just did that because it was the first game. He wanted to show him out. But if this guy is playing 120 to 140 a week and playing that well on offense and doing that well on defense, he has to absolutely be invited to the Heisman Trophy presentation at the end of the year. I don't care what Colorado's record is, which I think is going to be, I think they're going to be six. I think they can get to a bowl now. I think they're going to be six and six. Maybe I, I, a goal would be to over, be over five hundred, be seven and five. You know, they just the Pac twelve is too tough, but they will give those teams games. They're not going to be twenty five point underdogs when they play USC's, when they play the USC's of the world, and they play Oregon. They're not going to be that big. They'll be double digits when they have to go to the Coliseum. They'll be a double digit dog, but they're not going to be you know. 27 30 point underdogs like they were last year they have athletes they have the players now I mean really fun to watch they're going to be they're going to be the most intriguing story in college football all year especially if they beat Nebraska on Saturday then they got Colorado State who lost as I said yesterday by four touchdowns to Washington State so you've got Colorado State you've got 
you've got Nebraska this weekend and then Colorado State. If you start 3-0, and then they're at Oregon in week four. I would not be surprised if college game day went there because now there's a little luster off the Clemson-Florida State game in week four. That would be my guess, assuming Oregon beats Texas Tech and is 3-0 and heading into week four. A 3-0 and Oregon hosting a 3-0 and Colorado at Autzen Stadium, my guess is college game day will be there. But we'll have to see how it plays out. I think it took a big – I think it became more of a possibility now after Clemson laid an egg last night because I think they were all expecting Clemson hosting Florida State in week four, both teams being 3-0, and that's where they would go, but – I don't think so anymore. Dion's the biggest story in college football. People are going to want to be a part of that. So I could see game day going there, assuming both teams are 3-0. and Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Pass this along to your friends. Let them know. Pick's coming on Friday. You kind of already have an early lean on what I'm looking at. Um, but, man, that many road favorites – and public teams too, A&M, Oregon, Auburn, Notre Dame, Utah. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, be ready. Some of those teams are losing outright, and a lot of them probably won't cover. So be ready. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.